I'm surprised you weren't more into Bigfoot then. Your disdain for hippies. I I liked no, I liked the hippie stuff. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast. I'm Ryan. Across from me is Jacob, and it is episode ten. Today we are talking about Thomas. Is it Pinchon or Pinchon? I don't know. I'm yeah. guessing Pinchon. Well, inherent vice, Pinchon. Pinchon. Inherent vice. We'll Americanize it. Pinchon. Well, good enough. Hello, yes, and welcome to Better the Bookshelf. Episode 10. As a as a, as a quick aside, right? Because yes. episode 10, that's like a big episode. We're yeah. in double digits now. I don't know what the next big landmark episode is. 20 11. Is, 20 is too soon. Okay, oh. 11. 20 <laughs> is too soon. Maybe 50. If we ever get to 50, that might be the next one. But I don't know. It's I had a moment, a very brief, small moment of reflection, trying okay. to think of the last time I read 10 works of fiction in like a five-month span of time, which I know doesn't yeah. sound like that much. I, I read mostly nonfiction, so I've probably read more fiction, you know, the last however many months of us doing this than probably the last two or three years combined. So that in and of itself is worth it. Agreed. And, and all of the listeners at home, you could be me, but better me because hopefully you will have been reading more frequently. But yes, hello and welcome to Better the Bookshelf, episode 10, our little book club, book cult, book whatever podcast. We're going to talk about this this book, which is my selection. I've had a, I've had a rough go of it lately with my selection, so hopefully I turn yeah. it around here. We'll see. Uh, but you yes. You think you've had a rough go. I thought you've done fine. Yeah, fair enough. So... Like most of our episodes, we'll give you a quick summary of the book. We'll tell you a little bit about the author, and then we're just going to get into the meat of it. Uh, we may have some questions that kind of came up throughout the course of reading the book that we'll field to each other. Otherwise, we'll just kind of shoot the shit, talk about how we feel, talk about you know whatever random thing crosses our mind, and then of course at the very end, patented, copyrighted, trademarked. You know we've got great lawyers. Our rating system will tell you if we're going to keep it or donate it. We're going to tell you where it sits on our bookshelf, and then we're going to talk about the week after that. So. I think without any further ado, are you ready to do this, Ryan? I'm ready. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do this. Let's talk about the author first. Let's get let's into Thomas it. Pynchon. All right, so this this dude's still alive. I feel like it's uh, it's been a while since uh, we've had a writer that's been alive. Uh, I think was the last one, um, All the Light. Uh, no, Percival Everett. Oh, Everett, right. Ever, I hope he's still alive. Right, he's not so, on. He's not on social media, so I can't. Uh, I can't check. We that, need to but, check in on. Yeah, we, we do need to check on. Check in on Everett. But any rate, uh, Thomas Pinchon uh, was born in uh, Glen Cove, New York, in 1937. He is still alive as of recording today. Uh, he's 81 years old. Um, he early in life uh, started a degree, I think, in uh, like uh, engineering. And okay. uh, then ended up um, switching over to English. He served some time uh, in the Navy. Uh, he went I to. Cor- you were about to say he served some time in prison. Okay. No, <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. Uh, yeah, so he served some time uh, in the Navy, uh, and uh, he started out writing books in the uh, in the fifties and sixties. I think his, his first book was published in like sixty three, as I recall. Um, and, uh, then he kind of got rolling from there. Um, his, uh, his first big book was, uh, Gravity's Rainbow, uh, it won the National Book Award for Fiction in 1973. Um, he's, 
known for being pretty all over the place as far as his like subject matter. Um, so, you know, Inherent Vice is very much about, you know, sort of hippie stoners, police detective stuff. And uh, his his other things are, are not uh, of necessarily similar subject matter. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. And uh, but I think honestly, the most interesting thing about this guy uh, is that he is notoriously reclusive. Have, did you, have you looked up anything about I him at all? I haven't. I left this all to you okay. for your little tidbit moments like so, this. So I think this is this is super fascinating. If you go Google him, the only pictures that are out there are from when he was at university and uh, and when he was in high school. And um, he's he was a kind of gangly looking like guy at, at, at that age, like had sort of a goofy grin and, uh, you know, just silly, like 60s We've hair. all been there. It was, uh, yeah. So apparently he is, he doesn't do interviews. Uh, he doesn't do uh, photographs. He does, doesn't do events. Um, people, uh, they, they sort of find out after, like it sounded like he lived in California for a while while he was writing this book. Um, and, uh, but he lives in, in New York, somewhere in Manhattan. Uh, but nobody really knows what he looks like today. Um, he allegedly, I know it's, it's weird, right? It's you're, cool. you're making a face at me. Uh, so it, it's, it's like a thing that, that he's like a, a recluse. And in 2004, the Simpsons did a two part episode where, um, Marge was, uh, was becoming a writer and he did a cameo on the relationship. I don't know if, if he was voiced by himself or not. Uh, but he, it was just a, a character with a paper bag over his head with just eye holes. Nice. <laughs> and so it was just sort of a running joke that, you know, you don't know what this, this guy looks like. Um, but they, when they did, um, the movie version of, of Inherent Vice in what, 2014, I think it was, mm-hmm. Um, Josh Brolin, who I, I assume by his just stature played Bigfoot yes. uh, in <laughs> in the film, uh, he said in an interview that uh, Pinchon made a uh, made a cameo somewhere in the movie, and then people scrambled to like uh, figure out who it was, and they thought it was it was uh, it was this one character, and it, it turned out not to be. Uh, but like Warner Brothers, who did the film, wouldn't confirm uh, that you know he actually did it or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the guy is like totally reclusive. He'd just be an extra or something. If I, that was me, that's what I would do. Just yeah. be some guy plopped in the back. Really, really kind of kind of crazy. Like this day and age, like just from think about it from a marketing standpoint for a writer. Like you want you would want uh, if you were a literary agent to send you know your writer out and do events and like you know go out there. I mean, this book was published in 2009. It's yeah. not, it's not an old book. To be fair though, I feel like maybe at a lesser status, I feel like at a status, his namesake could probably sell enough to satisfy, that, yeah. you know, his publisher. Exactly. Whatnot, and, and you know, I, I get it. Like I, I could empathize. I, I dread the day that you and I are, are just fabulously famous because of this podcast. Um, and we're just going to be, you know, fending people off in Walmart who would be like, oh, you're the, the you're the podcast people. I, I get it, Thomas. I get it. Um, no, but so that's, that, a, that's a good segue into our book because you must be high. To uh, have that type of. Uh, yeah. Outlook de- for whatever situation we definitely. have going on here. So let's let's, let's talk about inherent vice. So let me give you a quick and dirty summary. Inherent vice is a story about a drug-fueled private eye trying to do a small job for his ex-girlfriend until he quickly gets wrapped up in corruption, drug syndicates, neo-Nazis, and other crazy, somewhat nonsensical shit. All right. 
It's good. Let's Let's shut it down. We're done. We're done. <laughs> That's inherent vice. Let's talk about it. Um, right. Where do we? I, even, I have. I have. Where do we even want to begin? I have an entry level question. Let's get an entry level question to get the ball rolling on this. Then his buddy Dennis. Dennis. Yeah, good point. Because it's, like, it's, like it's like penis, but Dennis. Okay, yeah. I forgot about that. Dennis. Can he wipe his own ass? <laughs> TBD, honestly. He seemed incapable of doing just about anything other than ordering shitty pizzas. So. He was the most outrageous character. Like, he would, he baffled me as we, as like we went through this stuff. Like, he took him on that, on as his like muscle or whatever for yeah. that one job. Uh, I guess when they went to the dentist, right? Yeah. The Golden Fang headquarters. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, the guy is just. How he survived to that point in his life, based on what we saw out of him, it just it requires, astonished. It me. requires a, a a good degree of suspension of disbelief, that's for sure. Which I think is uh, I think is your sort of mantra for the rest of this book. So it doesn't make yeah. it doesn't make that much sense. But yeah, that was. Uh, but but can he wipe his own ass? Answer my question. Um, probably, but uh, maybe not thoroughly. That was gonna be my <laughs> my uh, answer. All right, we're on the same. I feel like he's. A, I feel like he's. Well, do you think he's a folder or a crumpler? Uh, I. He's or do you think he just crumpler. uses his hand? Or do you think he just like you know? The, yeah, who knows? I don't yeah, know why I, I'm I giving see, alternative I see, options. I, here. I could see him. He's not a folder. He's not a bidet guy he's either. Not a, not a bidet guy. He doesn't I, use the baby wipes. No, he's he's probably the uh, the guy that uses like the old pizza like napkins, like leftover newspaper, like whatever's around kind of guy. Okay, that's, yeah, that's my. That makes sense. Newspaper. That doesn't sound very comfortable. You know, I think I've I've been on this earth thirty years and some change now i've never had the privilege of using a newspaper to wipe my ass and i don't think that's ever going to be an avenue i go down because it does not sound particularly enjoyable no nor is it particularly absorbent which is a key factor in toilet paper you're not wrong all right i now that i've completely derailed our our entry into the into the book um suspension of disbelief um that's a big one for this book we talked a little bit about it before the show just because of the i don't know the way with which things happen to Doc. And I, I say that very, very deliberately, that things happen to Doc. And it's yeah, it's very, you know, usually when you think of like a detective novel, which on on the surface, this seems to be kind of like a, a wink and a nod a little bit to like 60s and 70s level. You know, that was a big boom yeah. in those yeah. police, police TV shows yep. or noir style detective fiction and mystery in this you think on the surface you kind of this is like a you know a little wink and a nod with a little bit of you know acid and sure sure and cocaine and and weed and all that other stuff thrown in there to give it a little a little twist but really you know doc is kind of uh doc's kind of along for the ride in a lot of ways in this book and yeah. my first question that i had i guess okay. pertains to this do you think doc is a good private eye you know I think what we see from him, the answer is no. Like, um, he doesn't really do much to actually go out and like take initiative um, sure. to like solve anything. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to exert himself mentally. But they make reference that he passed some sort of exam to be a PI, right? Um, so there's there's that component. Um, he certainly has an understanding of like, you know, social norms and somewhat like disguises and cover stories and that sort of thing. Right. So 
he gets he gets points for that, I guess. Um, but you know, as far as like running a business, like he kind of reminds me of like Jessica Jones. I don't know if you've read any of the Marvel stuff no, or watched any of the show. Like, uh, she doesn't like you know really. Uh, I don't know. I mean, she goes out and, like takes initiative on on stuff, but she's not like um, she's not a good PI in the sense that like you know she's just gonna like surveil somebody and then like you know report back and like take care of things like uh you know doc sort of interjects himself into situations that he doesn't need to or other people for that matter so yeah i mean i think at the end of the book you really can't say he's a good pi because he didn't really do anything that you or i wouldn't do if somebody just came to us and said hey help me with this thing um okay i think well, one, throughout the entirety of the book, you're always you get these little snippets of like people that he's maybe encountered in the past or mm-hmm. instances where he's done. And it seems as though he's been, for the most part, relatively successful uh, when you talk about oh, what was her name? Japonica. Yeah. And that whole whenever that all pops up again, it's like, oh, you know, that's yeah. his whole work on that previously is a big reason why he's able to kind of not get killed in his current predicament so i mean if you look at like just sort of those little those little clues kind of laid in there and the whole i mean the whole time throughout it's you know it's it's a very you know a lot of what happens for him and a lot of his i guess fortuitous you know findings and things or things that happen to him yeah but he is kind of in the place that he needs to be in order to see these things through yeah. He does maneuver seemingly throughout the story. He does maneuver in the direction that leads towards, you know, the most successful or, or potential, you know, informative outcomes. You know, he tends to always be where he needs to be. And so in a, in a lot of ways, yes, you know, our, our big our big uh, discussion we had kind of a little bit before the show was, yeah. you know, does Doc, does Doc do these things? Does he make things happen? Is he kind of just a victim of... You know everything going on around him, and I think that there's I think that there's two sides of that coin. I think yeah. that there, so let me get my criticism in that regard out of the way because I, I think we can focus a lot on the other okay. stuff. My and and my my thing is that you know yes I, I think a lot of things happen to Doc, and I think that it in one uh, way of reading the book. Um, can be a convenient crutch to move the plot along. Absolutely. And that annoyed the piss out of me um, until I decided to, to try to look at the book in a f- couple different ways. Sure. And, and which, you know, I think we can kind of segue into sort of the multiple layers. But um, one, one that I'll, I'll point out is that um, I think that... S- the Japonica and I forget her dad's name uh, that that he met Crocker. with Crocker. Crocker, I'm so down. glad you make the list of people. I make the list. I just just in case we have to reference him because I know the, especially this yeah. book the names were oh, very. I, I gave up. The names the were very out there in this book yeah. for sure. So um, I think that a lot of what happens um, in the book to Doc is sort of um, is sort of karmatic, right? Like. Uh, he helped Japonica and didn't didn't get a big you know retainer fee. Just sort of returned returned her home at the end of the day. He had you know some good karma, and he references good and bad karma all throughout yeah. the 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 book. And that's sort of how he's gotten to where he is. He seems to build relationships with people, even like Koi. See, yeah, with Koi like, and Hope. Yeah, you know, at the end, just, whenever it's yeah, that's that's 
that is what he would prefer as far as right. you know receiving actual money because apparently he just lives off of magic and yeah so I, I i think i think that when you look at it um when you step away from the is doc like a pi is is he moving forward this like you know sort of like crime narrative and start to look at it uh in a, in a in a slightly different light this book is a lot better than it is I think at face value, if you're you're saying he is a PI that's supposed to solve this crime, why is he not doing these things, you know, and and how are these other things kind of happening? Um, So anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way so we didn't like interject into our uh, somewhat deeper dive into. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I think I think I would say, yes, he's a good PI for a few reasons. One, he he always seemingly had a sense for where he should be going even if it was confusing or he had no idea kind of what what was in store for him or what the stakes were he seemingly always kind of at least had some intuition and number two I think that he genuinely cared about you know again a lot of it's like highlighted on the stuff that he said in the past and even just like the very opener with Shasta like knowing that he's probably not going to get any money for it there's probably not, you know, a chance of anything, you know, reoccurring there or, or right, with right. Hope and Koi that it's like he's a genuinely, you know, he cares about these instances enough that he goes out and, and he, you know, puts a lot of time and, and works towards it. So, yes, I think Doc was a good P.I. regardless of the fact that maybe a lot of the things that happened to him or happened for him were, um, I, like you said, very much kind of karma or karmatic in, in that yeah. way. But I think at the core of it is the uh, his intuition was seemingly in the right place. And I think that his mindset for doing good was in the right place. And so, yes, I would say he was a good PI because of that. OK, I mean, yeah, I, we could we could argue that point, I think, all day. Sure. But if that's his job and he's not getting paid for it um, and he's just sort of getting like bonus points for future jobs that he's also not getting paid for. Like he's Again, not, he's we're not spending disbelief yeah. just, a, I know. Okay. just a little okay. bit. Here. So, so one other thing along, along the, the same lines, um, I remember making in our very first episode, um, when we were reading Hemingway, um, that it was interesting to me that no matter, uh, I, I for the life of me, can't remember the main character's name, uh, in uh, Farewell to Arms. Henry? Henry. Yep. Henry. Good. Good uh, we're only 10 episodes in. Yeah. When we get to 15, those like first three are just going to, they're going to be gone. I, I, I only have uh, so much mental space. I could have gotten there. But yeah, so remember when like Henry's going around and like no matter where he was, he just sort of like just ran into, people. yeah, that yeah. I, I had that impression as, okay. as, as I was I, reading yeah, about Doc and I was like, oh, this is funny. And uh the only thing that I thought was that was really different from from Hemingway in that regard is like there was always some like backstory or like he did a good job of like tying, you know, this person knew this person or, sure. you know, whatever kind of thing. So um, he sort of had had this like uh, believable network, uh, I think, of, of people. Um, but did you? Because I struggled in Hemingway with with the sort of I know everybody everywhere thing. Did you ever yeah. struggle with that at any point? Um, yeah, a little bit. But again, I think that enough was done to try to. It's like you know, if someone else that he'd interacted with previously, and we we either got to see their first interaction or we got at least a little bit of a nugget sort of behind the background there, that it didn't just seem like 
like in Farewell Arms where he just shows up and, and he just shows up in Italy and it's like, oh, hey, these people, I know them yeah. just out of nowhere. So, yeah, it did a little bit, but um, I definitely think that this book did a better job of tying up kind of that interconnectivity as much as, you know, it was just sort of stacked endlessly on top of each other throughout the course of the book. Just these just constant just interjections of people kind of coming in from left field or from, you know, yeah. a previous instance where where Doc is. Yeah, I mean, even just, you know, like meeting up with with Japonica. It's one of those things that's like, okay, like, yeah. oh, this is cool that it's, you know, he did this whole again, but then the flip side of that is like, okay, this is a literary device to just sort of right. <laughs> get us into into one other direction, which is I think yeah. a big point, I think that where we differ on how we view this book, I guess, has a lot to do with our background, both in reading and writing. I will obviously yeah. defer to you more on that. You're a little bit more of a... This is the position I'm making. You're a little bit more affluent, uh, I guess, in that process than I am. You know, obviously, I've I've done, you know, I've, I've written, but never, um, never in a way that sort of is uh, literary, yeah. <laughs> if I had to say. So I, I think that that does influence a lot of ways that that uh, when you read a story that the things that kind of stick out in your mind versus the things that stick out in mine. And that's, you know, part of what what makes this nice is that we both I feel like we're both very similar, but we also yeah. have that kind of difference of the things that hook us or the things that sort of pull us into a story or to uh, characters or, or anything like that. And I think that that's kind of this is a good book that illustrates um, a little bit of that minute difference yeah i think so and like you know i i think uh as i was reading this about halfway through i started hating this as much as asimov wow and and then like i kind of stepped away uh for for a few hours and i was thinking like why like why am i why was i such an ass about asimov and i felt a little bit bad in retrospect um and it really is like sometimes how you approach things like I was very critical of of Asimov, I think, because I was approaching it more as like a writer and I saw, you know, his concept and foundation as a it was sort of squandered in like his his craft. But like with with Pinchon, like I really appreciate his craft and it was the story that was that was sort of bothering me in that like the plot wasn't coherent and all of that and then I sort of settled once I got back into it that this it's kind of one of the points of this is yeah. like um you know it's it's close third person to to doc and you know he's a ridiculous stoner I mean I I, I think it'd be really interesting and by the way there there is a, uh, a Wikipedia page for him on every single one of his books like a an actual like Pinchon like wiki Oh yeah. Um and uh so I'm sure that somebody out there if it's not on there it's somewhere has counted the number of pages between like you know mentions of of getting stoned or, You know I've you know. actually so I actually saw that as a little side really? because I had read that apparently I mean if you've obviously reading throughout the book there's a lot of pop culture interjections yep. or things that are really relative to the to sort of the time and and, and the period thereof and it does an all right job of trying to trying to make it in a digestible fashion but having not lived or personally experienced a lot of that if some of it you're just kind of like oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. and so apparently there's you know a, the the Pinchon wiki has like 
references for for really? so many of the the pop culture uh, just acknowledgments that that happen throughout this book. I did I see that they had like, like a super page by page like footnotes for the book. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't spend too much time browsing through it, but clearly, I. I mean, I did. I guess I didn't do that much research. I'm sure Asimov has has some stuff out there too but clearly there is a serious but, fan base but of, it's of different though it's different though because again i think that asimov was more you know he was just kind of like crafting a world or like creating this sort of ideas from scratch and a lot yeah. of what made up foundation were these short stories and you yeah. saw that obviously through the structure of the book because of how not disjointed it was, but because of the fact that it's like, you know, it's everything played out sort of like a series of short stories that were kind of very loosely tied together. This is a little bit different. This yeah. is, you're taking something kind of within our world and you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to make it very real with these sort of pop culture references, which is another little question that I had that Perfect. I kind of thought about was obviously the way they were used in a lot of ways, you can kind of just see it as like, oh, this adds a bit of humor to these sorts of things or it adds a sure. little bit of scope or just kind of gives this book a more, I don't know, timely feeling to it. Like mm -hmm. a more, it, it feels a lot more. And so what did you think about all of the pop culture references? Because I thought, I, I was very conflicted on this. Okay. I thought in some ways it was, it was kind of this device used to sort of blend this authenticity in it to kind of give it, it's like, okay, well he's in this period. These are, this is kind of his thoughts. This is kind of these things that are going on. And then on the other side of it, it was kind of like, okay, I get that this is, it's like, Hey, what's going on guys? It's the sixties yep. again. Let me get another, let's put another reference in here or something, you know, yeah. kind of, out there a little bit. What did you think about that? I thought hands down it was the best part of this book. Like okay, le legitimately. And 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 here's why. Um and he, here's kind of my my big thought about the book. It's it's not a book about um you know, this guy solving a crime, right? No, I'll get into that later. Yeah. I, I'm so I I don't want I don't want to I don't want to, you know, blow the lid off that yet, but what I think that is the most important thing is that Doc is just, uh, he's experiencing his time, his day-to-day, -day, his situation, who he is as a person living in California, listening to surf rock, uh, smoking weed, uh, being a, a Lakers fan, which was the weirdest part of this to me, just he, I don't know. Yeah. But the, though I don't know, may say something about my like stereotypes. I'm like the biggest Packers fan I know. And I also apparently read a piss ton of books now, um, which people may not always it's kind equate. of a weird dichotomy. Yeah. Now. Like, Oh, we, we just always have these like, you know, preconceived notions about, you know, people who read books or people who like sports I or, mean, you know, whatever Packers fans are mostly shut up, illiterate. Shut up. Shut up. Um, uh, I, I can't say anything since the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think, I think not only was it well done, I think it, it was really the like epitome of what this book was, which is really a book about the, the time and place that the, the story is occurring and, and the, the people who, live in that like microcosm of California. Like Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree more um that I saw it in a little bit of a of a different way. Okay. Um I mean like I said, uh, I guess not even just the the pop culture but just the idea of the book itself as just this very 
you know, as far as stories go, not super duper compelling. There's a lot of layering yeah. and and, yeah. and all of this, but yeah, it it certainly had this feel to it that, you know, whatever was going on, it did a really really good job of kind of getting me to like feel like it's I am I'm in Doc's you yeah. know shoes. I'm in a situation. I can you know it it did a really good job of highlighting that character you know for me. And like I've said in previous episodes, the biggest draw to a book for me is something with a character that you can yep. you can get into and you can you can see their you know their their thoughts you can you can really feel for them empathize with them you know you can connect with them on that level and and I thought that a lot of that injection of just that that pop culture just those like little just even the random even yeah though, like he would end statements and question marks just so you had like the the sound of like yeah. the, the up uh what do they call that um just the inflection yeah and... there's it's it's like vocal fry i think is uh, the i there, there's a specific term for it but yeah um where you, where you end in an upward sound oh um, yeah yeah and so oh. like oh. He, he got that sort of like uh, that vocal inflection down too. I mean, clearly the the guy you know lived through the era, and and you know right. he, he would have been a little bit younger than us um, during the. Actually, no, he would have been about our age yeah. in like the early thirties, seventies. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, well, wait, you said he was born in thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, so he was he was very much like you know a, a young adult or. A, old kid depending on how you you view I mean, are yourself. we really young adults uh, no right. i guess we're just nah, like regular old adults we're, we're adults uh fuck uh oops sorry um yeah so you know he very clearly just like downloaded his like life experience at that point in his life sure and uh it was it was kind of cool just to see i mean because he wrote this book he would have been 71 right and like 2009 yeah yeah i mean well i guess he would have probably wrote it a year or two in advance of yeah, that, good, yeah good point but you know so he's he's reaching back for for some stuff um i don't, I don't know and just the like the local flavor the, the like the tie-in with like the the surf rock stuff which i i meant to all week go like find some of these songs a lot of the ones he references um appear to be actual like songs yeah um and i didn't know i feel like everything any, i feel like every other. pop culture reference has it's 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 real. And that's why yeah. it's interesting. Like that would be a sp- spoiler alert towards the end of the episode. I don't know if this is a book I'm necessarily like eager to go back and reread. Yeah. Other than for the fact of maybe like going back and, and just curiously looking into some of these pop culture references or just, yeah, I think I might, glance. I, I might just for, just for giggles, go create like a, an Apple music playlist. And oh, I yeah. think, I think I can share that if I can, I'll tweet it out at, at better bookshelf. And then we can have like we can know, all get surf. high and just I mean we totally Man, won't because we're responsible adults living in Texas where it's not legal of course um, yeah. but it, but if uh, if we want to go to to uh, Colorado California Washington whatever DC, the like twenty something states Oregon, that have it why well, is it twenty state? that have it record I feel like that's high I don't know I but, think it's more than half have it medicinally and then there's a good amount that have it recreationally yeah I definitely. Um, I, I definitely wished that we were we were in a state where we could we could partake as I was reading this. Just I wonder what this book reads Just, like. Yeah, that would be the additional layer because the book already does it already does its best effort of trying to layer a bunch of things on top of each other to create this sort of chaotic 
atmosphere that when yeah. you're reading it, you genuinely do feel a lot of the things that Doc's feeling, whether it's the paranoia, whether it's just the like, just the mindlessness. The, the, yes. Like yes, yes, when, yes. When, when he's, when he's on the phone with, uh, with, with, Oh my God. One of the funniest parts in the book when, uh, when he calls Bigfoot at home, and uh, his wife gets on the phone and they start bickering. Yeah. And Doc puts the phone down and goes and like gets pizza or something yeah. out. And he's just like eating his pizza. And then he remembers like, oh, the phone's over here and like goes back. Like he did, he did that, I think to Tito maybe toward the end too, oh, yeah. where, where he, he just set the phone down and forgot about it. And then like, oh shit, the that's phone. just, yeah, but that's just like, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're presented this person who's like passes out on, uh, on like stakeouts yeah. and just, just very, just stonerific, I guess. Yeah, he's. Uh, I don't know. So I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the setting of this book. I think more than any other book that we've read so far. I think I appreciated it for being very deeply ingrained in, like where it was. It felt and like when super. It yeah, it did feel like authentic, and not that I know a whole hell of a lot because it's not like you know I lived in Southern California in the seventies, but. There was just the way that the way that it was presented, and just when you look at the author, it does have this authentic feel to it. That it's like, okay, I, I don't feel like this is someone trying to trying to do their best impersonation of what they think this would be like, or or what they think these people would sound like, or what they would be interested in or, or yeah. into. It sounded very authentic and just kind of coming from a place of that that pot smoked remembrance hazy area, maybe. Well, I, I appreciated too, like the complexity of of his closer relationships um, all throughout. So, you know, obviously Shasta is kind of his his big big love, like you know, big big miss. Um, uh, and then uh, what was the DA's name or ADA's name? Penny, uh, Patty, Patty, yeah, Penny. God, I need to make a list of of names and just like pin it to the wall before we do episodes. Yeah, uh, but. You know, I, I think that's sort of sort of true to life, um, you know, with with relationships in general, too, like uh, especially if they're casual, like on again, off again, you know, things sometimes right. like you just are uh, not interested at the same time. Like, you know, sometimes somebody will come back around that you did, hadn't thought about like Shasta and suddenly like kind of everything's back there. But then uh, I don't know. I, I want to and talk the whole time. It doesn't stop Doc from just sleeping with swaths of just women throughout. Yeah, the entirety but of this I mean, book. let's let's be honest though. Like, no, I thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean, that's just it's a it's a thing at the time. Like, I remember that I, I I forget the exact of it, but I've, it was an interaction he was having with Penny, and it was uh, about this these women in a jacuzzi, and his excuse was like the jets would turn on <laughs> extremely high, which led to bathing suits being removed. I can't help that. It's like, um, uh, what was the uh, what was the heist movie with the the Mini Coopers? Oh uh, God, what, uh, what was that called? Um, they stole all the gold bullion. People are going to be yelling at us yeah, for, for not, not remembering this. But anyway, the the thing the, the Napster kid wanted was a stereo so loud it blew women's clothes off. That's all he wanted to, to spend his money on at the at the end. Don't so that exists now. I just want a jacuzzi that blows tops off. That seems more believable, depending on the looseness of the knots in said garments and the you know level of pressure from the jets. Uh. 
I feel like that might be a test for uh, literary mythbusters. No, we're might just going to revive that. <laughs> we're going to dust that off after the first yeah, two episodes. Yeah, I'll even try the bikini back. top on. Yeah, I'll pass on that. All right. Well, the offer stands. Um, okay, so I, I, w- I, w- I want to get into f- a few questions about okay. like relationships, if that's okay with you. No. Um, so I, I think the first one I want to talk about, I, I struggled a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts. Shasta originally came to to Doc to find Mickey, right? And he sort of immediately jumps. No, not really. No, she came because she was worried about they were going to try to get them to to kidnap. This was before. Yeah, Mickey I guess. I guess that's 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 a fair point. Um, Sorry, did I just he, ruin your? Question? No, 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 no. Okay. It, the the point's still valid. The, the main action or the main focus is really like him trying to figure out like the Mickey piece, right? But well, even then it kind of even shifts to where whenever Shasta's missing, it's that seems to be his primary concern. See, I didn't see it that way. I didn't hmm. see that he was quite as fixated on the figuring out where Shasta was as much as figuring out, you know, the, the, the whole Mickey side of things and what happened to uh, to Coy and um, was it Glenn, the, the, the guy that got shot in the beginning? Um, was it Glenn? By, it by was Glenn Charlock. Yeah. So I, I, I struggled a little bit. Maybe it's just I, I had a different perception of like his his focus, but you felt like everything that he was doing, he was doing to figure out Shasta's situation? I felt like that was, I felt like, it was this weird sort of because he had kind of gone down this path of trying to find out, you know, what had happened to Mickey and that mm-hmm. that sort of giant web of interconnectivity. I think that that was like he kind of realized that that was something big. But I think, you know, at the core of him, he was he was more concerned about finding out what happened to Shasta. OK. Until she showed back up. I might I might have to. Yeah. Randomly just like popped and and. I feel like we never got a great explanation for all of that. I feel like we didn't ever get a great explanation behind a lot of stuff with Shasta. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I don't know. I, which I, is, I, I understand, you know, you don't necessarily have to spell everything out. A lot of it is kind of, you have to read in between the lines based on their interactions and yeah. kind of that, that those feelings and, and whatnot, but... Yeah, that was that was one of the books. The one of the books weak spots, I think, for me is is a lot of the Shasta stuff and and sort of their reconnection and even you know yeah. towards the end her kind of. I get that it's this sort of like full circle thing. You meet her and it's like it, it goes to great lengths to describe like how she's looking and how it's different and you know kind of it talks about how they had how they had drifted and you you know she's kind of I guess seemingly trying to work towards a respectable life or, you know, yeah, towards something yeah. uh, a little bit higher than just being, you know, kind of a, a beach gal. But yeah, yeah, it was, it was, there was a lot that was kind of left unsaid or left uh, unexplained between that sort of circle for her. So one of the other things that I struggled to, to leave sort of unexplained. So, Bigfoot plants the heroin on Doc, right? Yeah. And then sort of nothing happens. Like, Doc's able to get rid of it. Bigfoot's very clearly trying to frame Doc to, like, you know, I would assume pin the murders and kind of close out this, like, revenge thing or sure. cover his own tracks if he, in fact, you know, was the one that commissioned these guys to to kill his, his old partner and stuff. 
Um, so Bigfoot sort of fails in that. Um, we sort of assume that nothing else happens. And I was really confused and like unsatisfied by that. I think yeah. more than anything else, I was like, how do you go through this trouble just to to let nothing happen? And I don't. Yeah. Did you I'm, struggle I'm, with that at all? I did. Yeah. I'm right there with you that it's we, we seemingly go. It's like, OK, you know, he picks up his car from the impound and he's just kind of got like the stoner six cents or yeah, whatever yeah. to check the trunk. And it's yeah. And you think it's like, oh, OK, this is going to take another twist where now he has to kind of figure out how to how to deal with this. But nope, it's just kind of like, oh, I'll just uh, I'll just give it back to the Golden Fang. Yeah. Which I mean, again, sort of fortuitous in that you know he was able to negotiate with you know somebody whose daughter he had saved japonica uh, i always japonica. forget her name what a weird name they're, they're yeah. all weird names man this book was just the, just the only one that didn't, out. didn't really i mean doc they explained his name yeah uh bigfoot i thought was was a fine uh fine nickname sure uh everybody else they kind of sucked like like i mean i don't know but i mean why not come up with weird names i mean i'm sure people like in that era, we're calling each other, you know, Petunia. And uh, except I kept thinking about know. Shasta Cola every time it was about Shasta. Yeah, I, it's I, very, it's very, um, it's like that little like splinter in your finger the whole time. I, I don't know why. I, I never, had a similar reaction. I've never, uh, I've never been a big fan of Shasta Cola no. or indulged previously in it, but it was just in the back of my mind. I was thinking Shasta Cola. Yeah. So. I don't know. For me, like I, I was just really pissed off about the the way that the whole Bigfoot thing just kind of landed flat. Not only like with with Doc, seemingly like he didn't. There, there was no really. I don't want to say like catharsis because that's not at all the right uh, treatment to apply to the situation. But um, he never seemed to like have a revelation that like. He's trying to frame me and like, you know, I need to do something about this. I need to go talk to, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he couldn't really talk to anybody, I guess, about yeah. it. Like, you know, it was always just kind of but, oh, Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot yeah, up to exactly. his old antics, exactly. again, kicking down my door and dragging my unconscious body next to a murdered you know, yeah. guy. And yeah. then, uh, you know, planning allegedly. heroin on me. Allegedly. Yeah. Well, except for the heroin part. That was that, that was, was not allegedly. That was yeah. definitely him. All right, so my my last question around relationships and, and Bigfoot then is, you know, there's there are a few moments um, where they seem to to sort of start to connect and like respect each other, and I, I think there may be mutual respect um, in some regard, but yeah. I feel like we kind of got there at the end a little bit, yeah. Yeah, until the until the heroin thing. And then it was just, it's sort of like unfolded. Yeah. And like, I, so do you think that like that Bigfoot does respect Doc, um, you know, or care for him in a, in a certain way? Or um, do you think that he is just utilizing him as, as a tool um, either, you know, sort of stress relief or uh, as, as a way to sort of move things along? Um, I don't know. I think that it's, I think you had those moments throughout. Yeah. Where you kind of felt like it was, 
you know, when Doc was kind of cooperating more with LAPD and yeah. you kind of had it was like, okay, they're both sort of wanting the same thing and working towards the same thing. But I don't know. It was really weird that Bigfoot, I feel like he just always kind of had that, um, that separation there that it was just, it was always, I felt like Doc was definitely more genuine in his approach towards it. I don't think Doc was ever, you know, not, yeah, he, he, you know, it was one of those like weird, um, like parasitic relationships, it really. Was. Like Doc is, you know, he's not really, he's not really helping all that much. He's not like going out of his way to like really like, oh, Bigfoot, right, you know, right. let me do all this stuff to help you. But throughout the course of you know their time spent throughout this book, you know, he does in ways you know work towards, and it's never he's trying to mislead him or, or fuck with him or anything like that. Um, and then Bigfoot is just the exact opposite. He calls him at like night, yeah, yeah. to just you know. To just mess with him or, or to just he just kicks down his door or, you know, yeah. drags him. So, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 like one of those uh, one of those like self-harm type relationships, but in a professional way. I yeah. guess. but but it's very, a professional self-harm relationship, <laughs> but but very clearly too. he's an abusive boyfriend. That's not his boyfriend. That's his like pseudo professional colleague because they're kind of in the same sphere, but not really because yeah. he's a damn dirty hippie. Well, but on the on the other side, though, like when his wife gets on the phone, she even says, "Like, do you know how much uh, you like know therapy. you process in therapy?" Yeah, yeah. It's just so like clearly, there's a there's a penalty for Bigfoot too, like in dealing sure. with in dealing with Doc. Yeah, it's like it. It's I mean, it's, it's like a. It's again, it's like a an abusive relationship. You know, he's he he maybe he loves Doc, and he's just this is the only way he knows how to show love because his father was mean to him as a child so now he's just got to kick down his door and you know drag his body unconscious towards corpses and things of that nature yeah um, plant heroin on him and such here's here's my thought okay i think that i think that bigfoot wants wants to hate doc but can't because he sees yeah he sees good things in there sure but can't ever get past the hippie stoner stuff and so uses him as a tool to try to to plant the evidence to kind of get clear of of whatever situation that that he's involved in or or whatever cost uh whatever situation cost him the life of his uh his old partner and docs just collateral damage for that situation cleaning up itself and for getting out of whatever toxic relationship he's got with him you know within himself yeah with doc that's yeah. that's my that's my way overthought perfectly reasonable of, of of uh we are known for overthinking everything on this podcast so speaking of overthinking things speaking what other questions do you have i didn't really have another question i just kind of uh you know i know how much we love to just talk about um themes and analysis here where we just take whatever the the writer said and we just interpret it through whatever lens we want to pull it through or yes i know that's a big we love that on this podcast and we do it very <laughs> frequently um the the opposite is true but i'm gonna create i'm gonna have a little cardinal sin here and i want to talk a little bit about that about oh no not i know you're not a fan of this but right, listen i'm, I'm not comfortable I, i'm not throwing it out there as gospel I'm simply saying it was it was a moment a momentary weakness for me because I okay. I don't like to be this analytical about things especially what I consider a pretty light read. I mean, let's be. Let, I don't I mean, think it was a light read. Well, not light in a sense of uh, the I, I structure of it. I think light in a sense of the kind of the 
just you're not the you know, ease of yeah. reading words on the page. You're and not turning going, pages. yeah. You're not going into it, you know, laboring over this, you know, yeah. endlessly. I didn't really have to go back and reread a whole lot of stuff. Sometimes no. I kind of got lost in a doc thought, and you're like, all right, all right well, let's go I, back, I, let's I, go yeah. back and reread that. But nothing, nothing major. So we've already established that there's a lot of elements to the story that are kind of require a huge or a, a good amount of suspension of disbelief, whether it's yeah. the fortuitous nature of things that happen to Doc, whether it's just sort of the people that are thrown out there that kind of just interject themselves seemingly at random. They'll just pop up in his life and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, because when I finished the book the first time, I didn't read it a second time, but what I'm saying is the the first, the only time that yeah. I read it, I finished it and I kind of thought like, nah, eh, that was... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the story, but I always go back and I like earmark things or I, you know, will like fucking highlight. Um, not so much highlight, but I like go back and I'll remember things and, you know, I try to kind of compile my notes and my thoughts for all this. Yeah. And it really got me thinking that a lot of what the story kind of throws at you, you know, the actual plot and things of that nature, it feels like very, very unimportant. Because to me, the yeah. thing that I got out of this was this whole book was about change mm-hmm. and okay. everyone. And everyone except our main character. Our main character was like our only constant throughout the entirety of this book. Because really, Doc, when we when we first meet him, when we start the book, and Doc at the end, not he hasn't really. It's sure. not like he's you know had this catharsis or had this big learning experience or anything. It's kind of he's just sort of survived through whatever it is that he's 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 had to do. He's kind of the same person at the beginning as he is at the end. And I think that that offers us a unique perspective into like everything else that's going on in his life because you don't really have to worry about like, oh, you know, how's this affecting Doc? Doc seemingly is kind of abstracted away from his reality, from his sure, from sure. his environment and things like that. So really a lot of the chaos, a lot of the things that are going on it's it's all of this sort of just change and upheaval and and things and in his environment and you even see it kind of i think the biggest thing for me like going back and looking into and rereading was all the golden fang stuff and like what okay. that what that represented and i don't know i i'm not going to try to presume to to say that this is what pinchon thought whenever he he wrote it down but it seemed like it was very representative of this like cycle of change right because it's like oh the golden fang it's a boat okay no it's it's like a drug syndicate. Okay, no, it's these like dentist tax haven thing. <laughs> and it's it was really weird because the book kind of laid it out where a lot of things played together. You had, yeah. you know, the whole whenever he's talking to Hope and, you know, she kind of makes note of her teeth and you have this whole like, okay, whenever you have heroin addicts and it sucks the calcium out of their teeth and then it's, you know, the Golden Fang as a drug syndicate that's providing heroin to people and the people are getting their teeth repaired and the Golden Fang is also this like dentist tax haven and yeah, they even talk yeah. about it in the book where it's, you know, they have, they have, you know, the, they, they have the drugs and then they also have these rehabilitation because they want to get, you know, both sides of it. And there was a quote that I pulled that was, uh, that I thought kind of was obviously indicative of that. It was, as long as the American life was something to be escaped from, the cartel could always be sure of a bottomless pit of new customers. And it was, you know, if you look at it kind of just on the face value, it's okay, you know, yeah, yeah they, they explain it. You know, you have the drugs and then, you know, we have a re- our rehab center or we have kind of our clinics for that. And then we also have, you know, uh, this whole tax haven thing. And the boat was, the boat was a little bit different. The boat was kind of a weird abstract of that but anyway i'm I'm digressing a lot and i thought it i you know i thought it was kind of just the idea of like this i don't know this this sort of antithesis of 
of kind of doc, right? Doc represented the like hippie culture and it's very much just like very, you know, he's taking on these cases for free and he's just kind of, you know, living out there. And then you have kind of the other side of this with the golden fang and all that. And it's very much, it's like, that's business, you know, whether right, it's through right. legal or underground means or, or things of that nature. And you see it again in like Wolfman, you know, with his sort of waking, sure. waking from his hippie dream of like providing these free homes and, you know, the FBI's involved and they want to kind of get him into, into, Wits, into the Vegas right. yeah. strip so yeah. that he can kind of, they can have their own sort of control there because it's very like mafia controlled and syndicate. And that was kind of a, that seemed to be like a really big thing throughout the entirety of this book is that, in the background, you have, you know, you're you're kind of entrenched in Vietnam. You, you know, it touches a lot on this, like, whole race, you know, race riots and yep, issues and yep. things going on at the time. You have the Manson murders, which kind of created this really big, like, fear chasm between your straight-laced people and your hippies and all that. And so you have seemingly a government that's really, like, preoccupied with that. And then kind of your everything else seems to be just sort of run by these, like, crime syndicates or whatever. And... I didn't think it was super far fetched to kind of draw a parallel between that and like exploitative capitalism. When you think about just sort of not that I'm, you know, anti-capitalism by any means, but it was just it was I don't know. It was just a thought that popped in my head, especially when I was going back and thinking of like the Golden Fang and just kind of how it sort of represented this like changing of the guard yeah. in terms of like that environment and that atmosphere and, and thoughts on that. So that to me was the thing that. I went back and actually had one of those moments. I, we've had them in some books. I know when we were talking about Sound and the Fury, the big thing that we sort of had an aha moment was just the how it kind of structured itself as like a parable of what happens in your life when you focus too much on on you know one aspect of time or right. one aspect of right. your you know present or reality. And and the thing for me with this one was whether or not it was superintended. It it seemed like so much of the book was just sort of reflective less so on the story itself and more so just on the changing of 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 you know society or the changing of what's going on in doc's world right now and we get a first-hand view of it because doc surprisingly is seemingly abstract from that he just sort of exists he has his own set of rules and morals and you know he's it's you know they don't they're not necessarily by the letter of the law but seemingly he's a good person and has good morals and does things with good intent and I don't know that was for me that was the thing that I I reflected on after reading the book that I thought you know what it's one of those stories that you read and you get through it and you're kind of like yeah it was kind of haphazard at, at spots and just very you know all over the place in, in some ways but I did get something out of it that I appreciated and that made me think beyond just what was necessarily surface level. And I'm not trying to say that oh, this was Pinchon's statement to everyone was <laughs> this is clearly his intent. But it was one of those things that was just like I kind of had that moment where, you know, I looked at it and I I, I did a thing. I did a thinky yeah. thing that I, I don't necessarily <laughs> do with every book that I read. A lot of times I just like to read a book and you know, a lot of what that book's trying to tell you is right there in your face. Yeah. And this book, you read it, and the whole time you're going, what the fuck is this book trying to tell me? Right, right. <laughs> Let's yeah, be real. Yeah, what the fuck yeah. is this book trying to tell me? So it's setting you up seemingly to be in that mind state where you're like, you're trying to find something beyond just this like weird trippy stoner story about, you know, Doc just getting into all sorts of fucking shenanigans. Yep. And yep. I enjoyed that. That's, that's one of the few times that we've read, you know, a book that I've gone back and actually tried to 
fill in some gaps with my own knowledge. And I know, again, we don't want to preach the idea of like, we're going to sit here and tell you, you know, our own declarations from Mount Sinai as to the, the literary truth that could be found in these books. But that's why I think, that's why I think I'm, I'm higher on this book than maybe I would be, um, on something similar and I've talked for a lot. So I'm going to let you take that and do with it what you will. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's, that's actually a really good observation. And I think that the way that he writes, um, he's probably a bit more literary than some of the other, I don't want to say some of the other people we've, we've read. Cause that's, that's definitely not fair to, to a few books. Um, I think he intends there to be multiple layers of meaning. And I think that is a perfectly reasonable observation to make, you know, given the the times and what we know, you know, happened after that. I mean, sure. you really do look at the sixties and seventies um, as, you know, sort of this, this time where society or at least a, a large part of the minority of society was sort of focused on this, um, you know, idea of just sort of being in the moment and being being present and, uh, you know, yes, there was sex, drugs and, and alcohol and, and all of that kind of stuff. But then you did very much move into these very commercial eras of, you know, the 80s and 90s and, you know, 2000s. I mean, um, you know, and, and obviously this this book was just written 10 years ago. Um, so I think he had the hindsight too of of how that that era the changed. Siege, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah I, I I think that's that's perfectly reasonable and and you know I'll I'll, I'll kind of wrap up by saying that um, this to me is a book that has smoldered a little bit. Um, I I th- I think when I got it down or when I, when I got it down when I set it down after I was done reading. I I uh, I was just kind of like eh, okay, yeah. Um, but then yeah, like especially as we talk today, you know, other things have started to to jump in, uh, which we don't have any time for whatsoever. But um, I am really interested in going and and reading something else that he's done, um, you know, just to see what else you know. So maybe Gravity's Rainbow is is something that I'll I'll add to to our future reading list. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he is, he's a really good writer and this, this book fascinates me the more that I just kind of let it sit. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think we should, uh, we should probably get into our ratings. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Go for it. Uh, this one's firmly middle shelf for me. Oh, you're up a little bit. All right. Yeah. Pre-show. Yeah. Pre-show. pre-show you were a solid was, bottom shelf. Yeah. I've brought you to the promised land of moving it up. Yeah. What, 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 I mean, I guess other than what you just talked about for like two minutes, that would, that would illuminate that uh, middle shelf for you. Why? Yeah. So I, I think the, the reason that I, uh, had it on the bottom shelf before was, because the the story itself, if if you're going to approach this book from the perspective that I'm not going to exert myself mentally on anything other than the surface level goings on of what's on the pages, the book sucks. Yeah. Like right, and so I had more of that like mentality going into it because I just finished the book yesterday, no, day before yesterday. Yeah, um, and immediately kind of stopped thinking about it. Um, but as I sort of let things go back through this morning and, and this afternoon, then we, we started talking, I started to really sort of see some of the other 
genius in it. So I bumped it up a shelf. Well, I appreciate that. I thought we were going to be, I thought this was going to be a I contentious we one too, for but us, but no, I'm also putting it solidly middle shelf, uh, not top shelf, just because like I've said in the past, top shelf, I think is like a universal recommendation for me. And yeah. certainly it's something that I, I want to go back and actively reread. I don't necessarily need to go back and actively reread this book. I enjoyed it for what it was. And like I said, I would maybe go back and check out some of the pop culture references. Yeah. It's definitely not a book I'm going to recommend to everyone. Um, but it is a book that I think that as I, you know, spent however long talking about, I think it has value. And, you know, I think it's one of those things that maybe someone else can read it and they will, you know, through their lens of, of looking at it, they'll maybe interpret different things out of it. And I think that that's, that's an interesting prospect and a, an interesting idea to think about. So solid middle shelf for me, uh, for inherent vice. All right. So let's talk next book. Let's talk about the next two books because I've oh, I'm already right. going to right. I'm already I'm coming up like right behind ready to Man, go for the is, next one. This is this is going to be it's going to be quite the uh, quite the episode. So uh, the next book for episode eleven, it's Ryan's pick, is uh, is Julian Barnes, uh, the sense of an ending, um, and uh, so I was gifted two books from uh, our mysterious buddy in Wales. Uh, when he was over in the States and my wife saw him last time uh, and I didn't, he gave her two books by Julian Barnes for me. And that's uh, the, the uh, what do you call two books in a series? A can't, series? Call it a trilo- can't call it a trilogy. Just call it a series. Whatever. A so there's a, there's a pair of books uh, talking it over and love, et cetera. And it follows this like sort of love triangle okay. of, of three people. And I slammed those books, man. They were not only... Uh, fun to read they were really really good uh the characters and and all of that was just freaking amazing so when i was in europe uh, a couple months ago i guess at this point um when we were flying out of uh out of gatwick i went to this this bookstore and uh they they had amazing books it wasn't your typical like uh you know sort of like just magazine and and candy kind of place. It was a a full fledged bookstore. But anyway, I saw they they had a Julian Barnes book and, you know, being a British writer or or from the UK, I don't know if I can call him British, but uh, I decided to pick it up. And uh, then when we were talking, we were going to do talking it over for this episode. Uh, I started reading some stuff. And anyway, I realized that I had sense of, uh, of, of an ending which won the Man Booker Prize, which is like the equivalent of like the National Book Award um, in uh, 2011. So I was like, oh, we should read this. Yeah. And it's super short. So I, I see that. I can, Very I can light maybe read. squeeze in some more of my uh, Nazi reading for my own, my own book. There you go. So that's what we're doing. Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending. Your next book for episode 12 is what? Uh, so I was kind of laboring over two, one of them being a short story collection and another one not being a short story collection, just being a full-fledged novel. Okay. I know we had previously talked a little bit about um, doing a short story collection on here. Yeah. Maybe with, uh, I know you talked a little bit about Percival Everett and maybe even going back and doing some of like Hemingway short stories just to kind of get a little taste of that. Yeah. Um, so I thought that would be uh, a potential option maybe getting into, but... We're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that one All because right. the book that I've chosen uh, to read after Barnes is going to be Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Okay. So McCarthy, uh, other works. Let's see. We've got The Road. We've got No Country for Old Men. Um, I'm surprised this one hadn't been turned into uh, a movie. Seemingly all of his works have. Although Has it I've, not? I've heard that this is probably uh, a little bit more difficult. This would okay. be, uh, I mean, this is like a Western. This yeah. is kind of set in the 1850s. It's... 
supposedly like just amazing. Okay. So I'm setting it up. It's super high expectations. We're gonna we're gonna kind of bounce back into genre fiction. Not next not next episode, but the one after. We're gonna get back yeah. in a little taste of western. Okay. True Grit wasn't really. I mean, True Grit was a little bit, but it was very. We we had a we had a dabble, so we're gonna go back into it. Big, thick, deep, Cormac McCarthy, Blood Meridian. I've got to be honest, man. Uh, I know you're road, not a fan of McCarthy. The, the road. I'm not a fan of McCarthy, Kerouac. Like there, there's a whole like list of guys that that immediately come to mind when uh, when you list that. But I haven't read Blood Meridian, okay. so I I'm I'm gonna gonna approach it with with a clean presence of mind all right that's all i ask all right so So yes julia uh, barnes coming up next episode and then afterwards blood meridian it's gonna be greatness uh so that concludes our uh our 10th episode which is also the uh like july cascade of episodes that we've released yeah uh and and the point of that is that we want to sort of get to uh almost reading books real time. We always need at least a one episode buffer. So, you know, if one of us goes on vacation, uh, we can still give you guys. If Ryan podcasts. goes on vacation. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll go on vacation. Aren't you going to Burning Man in August? Uh, probably not, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I never mind. Then but there was a chance. I go on vacation. Um, so we want to get more current because the other part of this is we're, we're trying to up our social media presence. So, uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, you can tweet us at better bookshelf. And the idea is that, you know, we can, we can sort of coordinate some of these, uh, some of these questions and maybe field some things, uh, from you guys as you read the books that we're reading. Um, so now we'll, we'll have that one episode buffer. We'll probably be reading at the same time you guys are. Uh, and we want to start creating this actual sort of like book club cult experience. So sure. if you guys have thoughts, if you guys have questions, if you guys have uh, interesting uh, Reddit questions that that uh, have come up for this book, send it to us, uh, tweet it at us at Better Bookshelf. Yeah, and we're going to try again. We're going to continue to try to keep uh, everyone kind of in the know a few books in advance because yes. there might you might be, you might not want one and then maybe, you know, two or three books, just go ahead and, you find one that you like, so you may start reading on that. So we can all we can all have a good time then. All right. Well, uh, we look forward to having you guys next episode for Julian Barnes, The Sense of an Ending. And until next time. 